This is the EMG Podcast Spotlight Interview with your host, Mike Salpal. So the other day I was uh, online and I looked up uh, the definition for the word entertainment. Uh, So according to dictionary.com, it is defined as the action of providing or being provided with amusement or enjoyment. The reason I was looking this up um, is because there's no one on the planet that provides me with more amusement and at times, of course, aggravation than my brother Stephen, who joins me this week. He is immensely funny and talented, and uh, quite frankly, I've always been in awe of my brother's ability to connect with people. Stephen has perhaps the highest emotional intelligence of anyone I've ever met, and his ability to read a room or audience is unparalleled. So, you know, given his natural gift and ability in music, it's not hard to understand why he's been a celebrated and accomplished performer his whole life. Currently, Stephen is the drummer for Cityscape and the Park Avenue Horns here at EMG. I wanted to find out how his past experiences as a dancer, songwriter, and performer shaped his construct of what entertainment is. We talk about our upbringing, his past musical experiences, and we even go deep into his emotional motivation for performing. I think you'll hear and soon come to understand that Stephen has an innate ability to process, relate, and communicate. You know, the things that make a great entertainer. The thing about life... (laughs) (laughs) All right, what's up, everybody? Um, All right, so we're here with uh, my guest this evening, or this day, depending on when you're listening to this. Uh, He is the drummer of Cityscape and the Park Avenue Horns. He also happens to be my brother. It is Stephen Saulpel, everybody. Yeah, whoa, we love you! (laughs) Hey, guys. (laughs) What's up? That pretty much answers who you are. Absolutely. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm good. I know you're lying to me because I'm your brother. <laughs> I'm exhausted. Nah, you're, you look like crap. Yeah. Uh, awesome to be here. This is exciting. Yep. So we are sitting here in the new EMG content studio, uh, recently finished, um, and we are going to be doing some fun stuff, and podcasts are a part of it. So uh, I want to get right into it. Tell us, tell the audience a little bit about you, who you are, in a quick soundbite. Oh, wow. Well, I'm still trying to figure that out for the most part. But I am, uh, <laughs> I don't know, I, you know, I, I'm 24 now, I'm going to be 25, and that's something that I think about a lot, because I'm very busy, I work a lot, I play music a lot, I'm with my family a lot, so I guess that's who I am, but I swear I have been thinking about that, it's like, who are you really, you know what I mean? And I think the only thing that I can go back to is that I live to make people laugh, <laughs> whether, or, or just to entertain and make people laugh and have fun. And I think about that too when I'm playing music. Like, I don't really know how I learned to play the drums, but I know that I've made a lot of people dance throughout the years, playing at carnivals, weddings, things like that. So one of the things that I want to focus on is um, this idea of entertainment, because I think above all else, rather than pigeonhole you into a musician mm-hmm. or a drummer, I look at you as an entertainer, and we'll kind of go through your story. But what feeds that for you? Like, where does that come from? Oh, man. Like you just said, you know, you, you, you're around to make people laugh. You do. You mm-hmm. know, you're the, you're the funny guy in, in every setting that we're in, family, friends, whatever. But where did that start? I think that anytime I can make someone feel, I know this is like a corny word, but like wonder or like 
that not shocked, but just that like kind of awe, like, oh my God, this is like a special moment, whether it's a piece of marketing, whether it's a, a dance, a performance. I just, I want people to feel joy and happiness. And I don't think that a lot of people get to do that enough where like I try to do that. I think everything is funny. I try to find jokes and, and entertainment and everything. So I think that if I can make someone feel that for even for like 10 seconds, that's like the ultimate high for me. Do you feel restricted in doing that, being behind a drum kit? Yes. <laughs> You're just a front man waiting to break out. Yep. Yeah. And I try to, that's how I try to play. I'm, I'm, I mean, I don't, I've never taken lessons, so I'm not, I will never claim to, cause I'm not the best drummer ever, but I do think I have my own style and I, I try what to, is the, what is that style? I, <laughs> I approach drumming people like other musicians who will come up to me like, Hey, like you're, you're really awesome. Like who, who's your inspiration? And like, I'll name, is that what every musician sounds like? They literally hey, sound, man. yeah. Jazz music. Go ahead. Give me a type of musician. Jazz. What's up? Uh, rock. All right. <laughs> anyway, I try to approach drumming like I, I'm on the dance floor. I try to do things on a drum kit that if I was out there, what would I want to do? So if I want to feel a little something, maybe I, I hit the hi-hat a little bit where you wouldn't normally hit it, you mm-hmm. know? Um, yeah, that that's that's kind of my approach. I, re- I don't think a lot when I play. <laughs> or the argument can be made ever. Ever, but especially when I play. So what is your back? How did you get into it? Let's start. Let's start there. Tell us a little bit. You were born in Saugerties, New York, which is home to Jimmy Fallon, but it's also home to a lot of great music, right? It's next door to Woodstock, New York. Right. Um, The scene of, you know, Bob Dylan, Janis Joplin, Woodstock 69 was, you know, 30 minutes from where we grew up. Grew up. They all spent time in our town. So there was this culture, Orleans, you know, you're still the one, like those bands came. (laughs) Which I used to sing. As a seven-year-old, incessantly, I had no idea what the song was about. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So upstate New York, I my well, I'm telling you like you don't know. Obviously, we come from a very musical family, multi-generation. So we grew up in a house with my grandparents. So <clears throat> my grandparents loved music from the 40s and 50s. Uh, mom and dad, obviously, 60s, 70s. I I think I was born in the wrong decade. I should have been born mm-hmm. in the 80s, or at least been a 20-year-old in the 80s, because that's really my favorite era of music. And then being born in the 90s from then until now. So it's, you know, it's all different styles, all different genres. And when we, so I was a baseball player, but then when we moved to our house in another town where we grew up in upstate New York, we had a full studio in our basement. And one day a drum kit was set up, your drum kit. And I went down and the song, um, going to Kansas City. And just one day I was playing, I was playing with my dad and, and who's also your dad, we think. And I could just kind of play the drums. And that was it. That was it. Literally, I remember that. It's like, oh, Stephen plays the drums now. Yeah. he just That's something he does. I never, I mean, (laughs) obviously I think I've gotten better, but I never, like I never felt awkward. Like I've tried to play the guitar and I've tried to play like the trumpet and I felt awkward. No, and watching you, it was awkward for me. Dude, don't even act like tequila wasn't on fire when I played. I have never wanted to disown you more. Than right now? Nope. Oh. You were in third grade. Yep. You got up on the stage mm-hmm. and you played tequila on the trumpet mm-hmm. and I puked in the back of the audience and I said, I want to disown this kid. That's me. Yeah. Um, all right. So you grow up in this multi-generational house. Mm-hmm. Uh, clearly, I was an influence on you because I was never into sports. It was music. Yep. Right? Um There was a moment where, and this is something I want to talk about too, Mm -hmm. I was trying to 
perform <clears throat> Ricky Martin's Live in La Vida Loca. Yeah. And, and I, to be clear, you did not have the thighs to do that. No, I still don't. Anyway, so um, I was trying to do it. This is like the summer of 97. Mm-hmm. You're three years old. Yep. Um, but to be clear, still on fire. Oh, yeah. Um, and I'm trying to do it, and I can't do it. And you're watching the TV, mm-hmm. and you're watching me, and you slung that little binky to the side of your mouth, and you said, I could do it. Yep. And you came over. And Clearly you, a speech impediment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, you did it. And, you know, I think that that was the first time that I saw You have this ability that I'm envious of. Mm-hmm. You can watch something. Mm-hmm. and mimic it like your eyes it's almost like you go to another place mm-hmm. whether that be a drum fill a dance move because you're a dancer as well yes you just look and you're like computing mm-hmm. and then you can do it and um that was the first time and i mean you know it was cute and kitschy as a three-year-old to be able to do that but you've continued to emulate that and it, it's I, it fascinates me like how how do you tune into that what what's happening during that process i don't know that makes for a great interview answer. So yeah, no, 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 you. no. Here, so I don't know. I, I honestly don't. I remember like wanting to do imitations when I was a kid, and I would just started imitating our family. And then, like, this sounds stupid, but I, like I said, I played baseball, and I remember having a video game where there was like a replay feature, and I used to just rewind play, and that's how I would practice like moving around on a baseball diamond. And then mm-hmm. I started doing it when YouTube became a thing, watching dancing and watching drumming. And I don't know. I. I locked myself in a room from 11 to 15 and didn't come out till I could, till I could dance as good as I wanted to. Mm. Yeah. And it's something that we've tried to incorporate, I think in our, for cityscape Mm -hmm. and making a difference, you know, if we're going to transition to a period of the night where say somebody wants recorded music or we're just looking for a little filler while the band runs to the break, you know, we'll put a track on and we'll bring you out and, and try to set the man behind the drums free. Yeah. And I think that's, that's something really different. And it leads me to my next question. See, there's a lot of things in your musical journey. You know, you came very, very close to signing a recording contract with mm-hmm. a band that we're going to talk about, but you came very close to quote unquote making it right. Yeah. And some then, form of it. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the cards didn't fall in the right place. Okay. Whatever. From the outside looking in, you're now someone with a day job. You work in, in creative advertising, creative marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, and to boil it down, you play in a wedding band, right? Yeah. You play in an event band. And that in our industry, we know that maybe the listeners don't comes with a certain connotation. And I think on behalf of VMG, we've been trying to change that. But how do you look at that in that here you are a kid that really had like record labels on the line. You're an accomplished songwriter, which we'll talk about. But here you are in the wedding industry. How do you approach that? How do you marry those two things? Yeah. So I think that there is a connotation that goes along with, oh, I play in a wedding band, right? But you know me, and I wouldn't do something if I if I really didn't believe in it in terms of like the product. So why do you believe in it? Because I think that the people that we have, not only the musicians that we have, but the the minds behind the the machine that is Elegant Music Group are great. And I'm not saying that because you're my brother, because I've told you that you sucked in other things most of the time. Yeah, but the thing that you're great at is is you're the you're the big picture guy. You know what I mean? Like you can see it, and then you have the other parties, Mike Carleo, who's great at. The, the the musicianship of things and packaging people in that front. And then you have Tommy who's very personable and is, is a great, great face. You know what I mean? Of the company. So I think that 
I don't know. It's just like right time, right place, right people. And I think that there's something special happening and I'm happy to be a part of it and contribute those, you know, the things that I've learned on that journey that you said for music, um, you know, contribute that. Yeah. Well, I think the, the, I, the, the genesis of this whole thing is I want the most talented person at any given position, whether mm-hmm. that be in the office or on a job or in a performance, I want to build that team. Right. Mm-hmm. So my, if I can go back to my original question is, all right, so you're uh, an accomplished singer, dancer, not singer, sorry. God, Lord, please don't sing. Dude, If I, let me tell you something. Can you sing something? Sing something <clears throat> for us right now. What do you want to hear? I want you f- for real sing uh, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. For real. In the style of? Nope, in the style of you. That, that song? Just hit the, hit uh, the beat. Come on. Tell me something, girl. Are you happy in this modern world? That's that's what I feel when I hear you sing. Okay? But, okay, babies have different cries. Is that like a, oh my God, I just learned I had feet? No, that's like you just, you hit their brain on some sort of frequency yep. that shouldn't have been hit. That's good. That's good, though. We're taking people places they've never been before. Okay. Even if so, they're babies. Back to my original question, mm-hmm. which, which was, do you look at this like, okay, I'm playing a wedding? Or how do we redefine what we're trying to do because one of the things that I think is very difficult from an inside the bubble thing is for an outsider, somebody who didn't grow up in a family of musicians who has the regular day job, who's coming to like, all right, I just got engaged. I know I need entertainment, whether Mm -hmm. that be a band, a DJ. It's hard sometimes to separate and differentiate. Like here's product a, here's product B. Well, they're both DJs. I see two guys with saxophones. I see two drummers. I see two bands. It's hard to, put into words how we're trying to mm-hmm. um, what is different about what we're doing. Yeah. So what is different in your eyes about what we do as a band? I think that every player is not just a musician. I think that going back to the original point, every player in our band is an entertainer. When's the last time you've ever seen a saxophone player do what Adrian does at our weddings? Yeah. He no. will literally rip his pants running across the dance floor to slide. Or if I come out and I do yeah, a choreographed you know dance too? number. It's done in a tasteful way. It sounds yeah, over yeah. the top when we're sitting here on, you know, a weeknight and we're talking about it. Yeah. But it's done in like the right, it's hard to put into words unless you it's see it. It's done tastefully. Yeah. It's not in your face like, oh, like we're going to just try to be as loud and crazy as we can. No, it, you, you pick your spots. It's the whole performance, right, is choreographed in a sense, right? Well, but it still comes across raw and, you, and natural. You know what it is? It's choreographed to the vibe of the, to the emotion of the room. Right. Right. So when, if Adrian does that, it comes at a time, the perfect time and a place where he's reading the audience to say, all right, do this. Yeah. He, right? d- you do, you pick your spot so that when you do X, Y, Z, it's the most, it feels the most special as it possibly can. Yeah. All right. Wait, let's, so let's go back. All yep. right. So now, okay. Steven drums, he does that. Right. So now we're into middle school. Now we're into high school. What's happening for you, say middle school, early high school, with music, uh, nothing. I was I was playing baseball. I, st- I, st- I don't know if you remember, but as soon as we moved, right, and that studio was no more where our mu- music stuff was it set was up. It was all baseball. It was all baseball because right. we couldn't. I couldn't play the drums in our townhouse. I wasn't going to go to a rehearsal space or anything. I just I dropped off for four years. So what brought you back? Uh, so our cousin Sandy was had a band at the time, and I kind of just started popping in at your rehearsals. Then you started playing with her, and then I remember. 
we were playing in the city one night. I think it was at the bitter end or um, Tamney Hall. It was at Tamney Hall. And I got up to beatbox a song. And it was the first time that I had performed since I was like 13. Right? I was like 17 now. And I was like, oh, I forgot about this. This is what I want to do. And then I didn't stop playing baseball. What drew you to it? Performing? Yeah. Um, I know we go back to this idea. You say, oh, I want to make people happy or whatever. But what is that intoxicating thing for you being on the stage? Well, so when I was younger, when I was 13, I was performing. It's like, yeah, like I'm 13 years old and I'm playing in a band. And then that stopped, right? So then I like turned to baseball. And then that moment, I I wasn't looking for it. I got back up. I beatboxed. The clip's actually on YouTube. Um, I got up. I beatboxed. People like responded. And I was like, oh. I forgot about this. And then from that moment, I was like, okay, how do I do this more? You know, and and that's what it's been ever since. Okay, yeah, but okay, so follow us through. So now you're you're doing yep. that for a little while. And then let's uh, talk about... Do, doing that for a little while wasn't exactly... Then, you know, the more you do something, it's almost like the like when you're in a boy band and you're like, I want to go solo. But I didn't want to go solo. I just knew that I wanted to do other things. How and, many times have you been in a boy band? Once. That was possibly the dumbest reference that I've ever heard. Justin Timberlake, Harry Styles. Wait, hold on. You know what? Yeah. That's what you get. Again? Yeah. To a boy band. That's a, that's a hungry cry. I want to talk about the Cleopatra Club. Yeah. Let's talk about the Cleopatra Club. Okay. Okay. So the Cleopatra Club, you're in high school. Uh, uh, Unfortunately, there was a timely passing, right? And then Mm -hmm. um, of a a student uh, that was in your school, there's a fundraiser. Um, by this point, you're performing like in the school talent show, mm-hmm. um, dancing, but this is putting you next to like more artistic type, like-minded people your own age. Hey, let's put a band together. One night only. We need a name. The Cleopatra Club. Right. Boom. Boom. Gu- guitar, bass, drums, yep. female front. You get up there, you're playing cover music. Yeah. Right? Your first song was you you counted off it's locked out of locked heaven, out of Bruno heaven Mars. Bruno Mars yeah. at about seventy thousand BPMs way too way too fast. Oh I was jacked up. Yeah way too jacked. So you, you play this like 25-minute set. I'm in the audience, mm-hmm. and as a spectator, I'm going, oh, boy. Something, yeah, something happened. Something happened because there were th- four people under the age of 18. Mm-hmm. Maybe you were 18 at the time. I don't know. But we're talking about kids, right? Yeah. There's children playing, and something. there's like a spark. There's something there. And you guys feel it, and you decide to stay together. And then you build your own brand, your own thing. Yeah. Um, what is your own thing? What was that brand? Talk to us about what the Cleopatra Club was. It was for what it was, which was like you said, four kids in a in a quote unquote garage band, right? Literally in a garage, playing at a higher level than other garage band musicians in New Jersey, turning out music that sounded different than those bands. We weren't. We're from New Jersey. We're not playing pop punk. 
we were playing pop funk. It was the summer of, of take back the night and get lucky and treasure. And we were like, Oh, that's an awesome sound. Let's do that. Um, I, I think that the music that we turned out, I still stand by it five years later. I think that it, that it was awesome. And it was, it was just fun. We were having fun. Yeah. It started organically, right? Yeah. Okay. So then you, you decide, Hey, let's write some stuff. Right. And the first time you sit down to write, you turn out Gypsy. Yes. Right? So let's listen to this for a second. See, I listen back to this on the production and I'm like, ah, we could have done better. Oh, 100%. I want to talk about this chorus in a minute here. Talk to me about that song, specifically your, like, how does that represent you, who you were at 18, in terms of, like, songwriting? Um, I wanted, no matter what type of music, whatever the lyrical content was, I wanted it to be groove based and I wanted to, no matter what the song was about, whether it was a a sad song, happy song, I just wanted people to dance. Like we're going to be doing live shows. I don't want to play to a room of people sitting down and kind of just like acting uninterested. And I wanted, so a song like that, when it comes on, when you play that live, gets people's attention. You know what I mean? And I, I remember when we wrote that we, I actually went to, um, our guitar player's house, Matt. Um, who was my songwriting partner at the time. And we were writing our other first song, which you can play that in later. Um, it was very like kid bopish kind of, you know, in its tone. And then he starts playing this guitar lick, which was a lot slower than that. It was like, wow, 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 wow. And that thing that kind of just went off in my head, I was like, what is that? Mm-hmm. Play that more. And then we just started jamming on it one day and it, it wrote itself pretty quick. I think it took like four days to write that from start to finish. Yeah. Um, So then, so then that song goes on and it grabs the attention of the local community and then the larger community. Um, It becomes the first solo uh, single off of an EP, like the debut EP that we financed by winning a battle of the bands in Fort Lee, New Jersey, which (laughs) we were promised a $500 cash prize and a performance at the following year. Mm -hmm. Right. At some sort of festival, which we never played at. And I'm not, I'm not (laughs) lobbying for it. You but, think they're going to call? But I'll do it. Yeah, I'll do it. I'm there. I'm not above I'll it. I'll do it. Yeah. So, okay. Lead single. Lead single, it it, it becomes profitable, which is like it really does. hard for a high school band, which you were, a garage band, to do. Yeah. Um, the EP is good. Uh, the thing that I like about every track that you were very strict on, uh, <laughs> and again, at this point, I should point out, I'm like older, I'm removed from this, and then I start to get involved with you. Yeah. Um, because again, I no knock on anybody's age. The talent was there. Um, I joined the songwriting team. We do a couple of things together. Um, things are going good. Uh, every track on that EP had a different sort of tone. Feel, yeah. Right? So feel. here's the the poppy one that we were talking about. Yeah. This is like very 2012, 2013. Yeah. It's about my first relationship. Yeah, I hate this song, dude. But you know what? I'll never forget. My friend sent me a video, and there was a seven-year-old singing the lyrics, and 
just in pure yeah, in like pure, Michigan. Yeah, pure joy. Yeah. So I was like, okay, that song served its purpose. I hate it. Yep. Um then there's more of like a rebellious rock tune. Yep. You know just what I crave when you kiss my neck, I go and say Right, so like one is is talking about like <laughs> We know what that song's oh, about. Your love, it's runaway train. The next one's talking about like kissing my neck in the first. So clearly there's some teenage angst going on here in e- both directions. Well, yeah, there's the hey, I'm in my first relationship ever, but now also I'm a musician playing on college campuses and yeah. meeting new girls. So fair enough. Yeah. Uh then a very highly produced track. This is my favorite. Yeah, this was a good one. And then, uh, which was very ambitious, you and I wrote this one together. Going off to college. Yeah, going. it's all about going off to college. I'm going to skip to the end of this tune because we sat down on the 4th of July. I had an acoustic guitar and I wrote this and I was like, hey, let's write a stadium anthem, <laughs> like, which is a very ambitious thing, right? Had, so, to, had to have a good hook, though. Like, there, there's like a string ensemble here. Yeah. Yeah, this is... Okay. I like writing songs more than playing music. Yeah. No, it's fun. It's definitely fun. It's hard, though. It's It's very hard. Really hard. Yeah. Um, So, okay, so now Z100 gets a hold of it, right? And says, oh, you're cool. You're great. Let's do the jingle ball. Um, uh, we don't have time to go into what happened there. Suffice. I don't really want to talk about <laughs> yeah. it, to be honest with you. It, but it doesn't pan out, right? So no. it doesn't pan out. Okay, we go on right back into the studio. You guys go. Second EP, totally different. By this point, mm-hmm. what's going on? Oh, boy. Uh, I'm in college. My first relationship to a lovely girl uh, was coming to an end, and I knew it. Um, so that's reflected a lot in some of the lyrics and, and music and you know we're, we're all getting older so i think that the sound and the production and the the contents of the music is reflecting that but also still it's got to have two things groove and a good hook and Th- those are must and, and melody obviously but yeah but those okay so fair enough so first now this is like your in who are your influences here uh boy the 1975 uh chic um, always Michael Jackson, Stevie Wonder, Prince. Um, that was really the main focus of, of this. EP. So you have like a British at the time, a very uh, current band, but like this yeah. British influence who they're also influenced the, by those older people. hundred percent. But then you go back to Chic and Nile Rogers of like the seventies. Yeah, and again, disco. you guys are 17, 18, 19, 20 at this point. Right. And who's listening to a seventies guitarist, but you're putting a modern spin on it. Right. Right. And we're turning out stuff like this. We're turning out whatever this was crazy. There's like 74 recorded tracks on this. Yeah, this was like, you know the scene in Forrest Gump when she's on the rooftop? Kind of <laughs> just like, that's what this is. <laughs> it's just like... With horns. Let's listen to a second of this. Yeah, so let's groove, whatever. Yeah, there's not an 18-year-old Ben doing that yeah no so i think it's really good and the other cool thing up from we go back to this idea of like non-stop entertainment at every level 100 um each of these tracks has an associated music video yes that's a concept video so this is like very out there very crazy stuff yeah um you know the first one was about temptation and forbidden love and it was set in a church which was nuts <laughs> wait, wait hold on we ha- so funny thing about that when we were scouting locations to shoot that video uh you, they were like yeah absolutely we'd love to have you um we'll just need a, a printed copy of of the lyrics and i'm like oh all right 
So, so we sent it. I think we had five churches basically telling us that we were going to hell, and one particularly um, older priest gentleman asked to counsel me personally <laughs> to save my soul, and I said, no thanks. <laughs> So anyway, you end up finding a church who, and I knew we were in the right place because when I walked in to help you with this, the reverend there introduced himself as the Rev Trev. Yeah. His <laughs> name was Trevor. And he said, what's up? I'm the Rev Trev. And I said, you're my guy. 100%. That guy knows how to dance. 100%. Yeah. Just because no, of his 100%. name. And then he disappeared. Remember, he was just like gone. He's like, yeah, you can lock up. And I was like, okay. Maybe it was the Holy Spirit. But I, there's the one song I want to talk about on this album um, is Ride the Night. And I want to talk about it from oh boy. an entertainment standpoint, right? So yeah. there's this is a loaded one. Tell us a little bit about the song uh, in kind of a succinct way. So my favorite songs are ones that aren't necessarily written from a personal point of view. I think those songs are beautiful, but I love songs that are almost like short stories and don't necessarily have to be truthful in like its contents, but you can start projecting like, oh, you know what? I had something happen to me that reflects what that song is saying. So I don't know. I, I just, I wanted to create a song and a video that felt like an event. So I wanted to have a lot of people. I wanted it to have a storyline. I wanted it to have supporting characters. Literally, so the, the concept of the video is this group of runaway girls, right? Well, because the whole lyric is about a girl who's got a problem right. and we she don't runs really, away. We don't really talk about what the problem doesn't is. Doesn't matter could, what the problem is. Doesn't right? matter. That's okay. not what it's about. And it's basically the concept of the video was this group of runaway girls who take, you know, refuge in this warehouse, right? And this girl shows up one night and they kind of like take her in, they size her up and it's this whole like transition, you know, phase and And, and she becomes sequence. one of the girls. And she becomes one of the girls. But each one of those girls, even though we didn't necessarily market it this way, when we would meet for dance lessons, it had a whole choreograph section of it. I told each one of them to come up with a backstory. And like made them basically. Like why they ran away. Yeah, why they ran away. What's your, you know, so Kelly, right, who's our friend, her character name was Piper. Well, who's Piper? Mm. You know, mm -hmm. find out who that is and bring that when we shoot the video. Yeah, so Piper comes back as a bare knuckle brawler who runs away because, you know, she's got, I forget what the problem was right. at the time. But she runs away and now she's she's like the leader of the runaway girls. Yeah. And I'll never forget, we were driving home from a show where you opened for uh, Hello Goodbye. <laughs> And delirious. And delirious at like two in the morning. And you go, I've got it. <laughs> and I went, what? You were sleeping. You go, I've got it. Yeah. It's a nightclub in a warehouse <laughs> and there's girls and we're the entertainment. And I said, huh? Yeah. And, and, you, and you said, that's going to cost $80,000. And, and I it, said, we got to get it done. Yeah. And we did. We found a way to get it done. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm going to play this here in a second. So it's a, it's a cool thing. It's clearly an ambitious thing. Um, it's around this time that you get the attention of America's Got Talent, and we get you get a publishing. Well, we because I was part of the songwriting, we get a publishing deal. Yeah, for the music that we write, right? Mm -hmm. And at the apex of this thing, everybody gets a little bit older. Everybody starts going, and it's the classic band story. Yeah, right? man. And the band breaks up, uh, like right on the precipice of all of this, <laughs> and it all just kind of goes away. We get the call. You're like, you've made it. You you made America's Got Talent, and yeah. then it was like. We're not a band anymore, right? <laughs> so, and so, all right. So now here's the next big talking point, mm -hmm. and I'm going to play the track, and then I have a big question for you. Check Maybe. it out. This Maybe. is Ride the Night.
Okay, so we're we're 20 seconds into the song, and I think we know who your influence was on this. <laughs> okay, so she got to get away. And yep. I remember you like in the studio trying to tell Jess the singer how to sing that part. And it, you know, she got to get away, <laughs> right? And clearly this sounds like a 1980s Michael Jackson track. Yes. Okay. Let's talk about Michael Jackson. Let's do it. So here at EMG, right, mm-hmm. we have uh, been dealing with a lot of people who come to us when we go through the planning process and we're talking about their music. And, you know, Michael Jackson has become a red flag, right, mm-hmm. for allegations and accusations happening outside. Right. Um, I think everybody struggles in this era of, you know, here's a person from yesteryear who had a great art or a comedy or whatever. Who literally changed the world. In his case, in some sure, cases, right, yeah. yeah. But but now here we are finding out some like really horrible things, right? Mm-hmm. So it's become a really odd space for people to mm-hmm. say, "How do you separate the art from the person, or or how does that work?" And ultimately, I think we're seeing the movement in our culture where people can't do that, and so he's become a real red flag, right? Mm-hmm. And people are saying, "Do not play Michael Jackson." Um, I know that you are a defender of that. Mm-hmm. And I want to know why, why, mm-hmm. and um, what your advice would be to people. Okay, so this is a this is a everybody strap in, right? Separating the art. <sighs> Sorry, <laughs> go on. <laughs> Separating the artist from the art, right? If you're going to discount a lot of his disco- discography, right? Well, now you're talking about discounting Quincy Jones and Sieta Garrett and Greg Fillinganes and all of the people that have contributed to those records, right? So that's that's a conversation that you need to have in and of itself. The whole thing with with the recent Michael Jackson stuff is, and you're referring to the documentary that came out that two alleged victims yeah, came out. Neverland. Right. A lot of people, listen, people who come forward and and you know say that type of information and come forward with that, they deserve to be heard, right? But the if you're making that accusation about someone. You also need to like dig a little bit deeper, right? Because anyone can come up and say, hey, this person did this to me. And if that goes unchecked, right, that's not the way our society works. You know, that's not how it how it goes down. So I take I look at it in two areas. Did was he troubled? Hundred percent. Can't argue that, right? Forget the music for a second. The man was put on trial. He was investigated by the FBI for 10 years. Closely. Everyone wanted him to be guilty, right? But he wasn't, right? So, okay. Now these two guys come out after he's passed away, almost 10 years later, right? And he can't defend himself. And the doc. Does that make what they say invalid? No, but it doesn't make it valid either. Okay. Right? So a lot of the stuff that they said can be disproven, can be, you know, they're. There is no other side in that documentary, which I get. It was very, that's what the director wanted. So that stuff deserves to be looked into. But ultimately, when one of those people say, hey, I was, you know, this happened to me in this building and the abuse stopped in 1992 and the building wasn't built till 1994, right? You know, like that, that's a, that's a thing. That's a real thing. And if you really, if you just take 10 minutes to look into these two particular people, and the stories behind them, you'll find out that one of them literally defended MJ for, for the his whole life and the 10 years after, right, up until recently, and then he didn't get a job 
as a lead choreographer for a Cirque du Soleil show and then immediately came forward with this stuff. And you I don't think it was a money grab. Yeah. In, okay. in this case, so 100%. Because here's my question, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that maybe maybe this changes, you know, six months from now, but if he was a serial pedophile, mm-hmm. you don't stop doing that. Since that documentary has come out, no one else has stepped forward. It's not like an R. Kelly where 50 to 70 people are all coming forward saying the same thing. Because for all of these people and the kids that say, oh, this happened, there's a million people that say, oh, nothing happened. All right. So let's bring it a little bit more local. Mm-hmm. Bride and groom come in. They say, here's our must play. And Michael Jackson's on the do not play. We, have, we love his music, but we don't want to touch Yeah, that's, that. their, that's their right. It's their day. Yeah, no, I, I get that. But what if they love the, if they're coming in saying we love the music, but maybe we shouldn't do this? What would your advice be? <laughs> well, I'm not going to be like, well, that song's actually from Off the Wall, which came out in 1979, and there were no abuse allegations. Yeah, 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 you right. know what I mean? But you can't do it. You know, it's it, it's ultimately they have to decide. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and the truth of the matter is, maybe all of that stuff did happen, or maybe something that we don't know happened. May, you know, time will tell. Maybe right. But to me, it's not. It I don't know. It would be very hard for me to remove him and his music from my life because a lot of those things that you talked about, like, you know, what drives you and, and you know, I, a lot of the way he approached his craft is, is how I approach work, music, relation, you know, well, maybe not relationships, but you know, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, yikes. So I, it would be very hard for me. So I'm going to, I'm going to take my memories and my experiences and, Put it in a box for now. Every let time, this play out. Every time Michael Jackson comes up and you get, I see your back go up and you're like, I'm ready to defend because you, yeah. you are very well read and you know a lot of things. You, all that I can hear when you open your mouth, all I can hear, really? you know, that's it. Hmm. Just you crying like a little baby. Crying like a little bubba. Crying like a little bubba. Baba. Um, all right. So let's, let me, let's, let's recap. Yep. You've said a lot. Yeah. All right. You grew up in a multi-generational home. Mm-hmm. You were influenced by Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. You, um, you know, you you almost quote unquote made it, mm-hmm. and then you landed doing something you still love, yeah. right? Performing, doing things. Yeah. And I asked you when we started this, what drives you, mm-hmm. right? Do, is any of your um, need to perform, need to produce, need to whatever, is that rooted in any insecurity for you? Oh yeah. <laughs> Uh, what is it Uh, is it is it a tough relationship with um your parents is it with uh, me is it where is it rooted is are you constantly seeking approval yeah from who i think everyone is though you know what i mean I, i i think everyone wants to be loved everyone wants to have people say you know their work is great you know because that but i also for as much as i do that with myself i also look to build other people up you know what I mean? I'm never, I'm never, and you, I mean, you're my brother, you mm-hmm. can vouch for me. I'm never, if someone is like, you know, getting their shining moment, I'm not the type of person to be like, well, well wait a minute, look at what I did, or no, this is yeah, the part no, I, I contribute. Right. But I believe in working hard. I believe in putting out the best possible product, whatever that is, whether it's a piece of work, a piece of art, you know, anything, mm-hmm. out on, on the football field, whatever it is, you should attack it and try to be the best at it. And or- and, and And the work that you put in, and other people's work should be celebrated. That's what you need more of. Right. And what happens if you don't? I don't know. Because I don't What's stop. What's the fear rooted in? Failure. 
so is it having to face failure or is it the rejection of others? Um, man, this is, this is, what kind of podcast is this? Wait, hold on. (laughs) By the way, I only have two sound drops right now. (laughs) Yeah, you dude, you got to get more. 100% have to get more. I don't know. I, I don't. Here's the thing, and I'm and what I'm about to say, I'm not trying, it's going to come across a certain way, but let me finish. I am not someone who has experienced failure a lot. And what I mean by that is, up until recently, I've never had to deal with like a loss, a family member, a really close family member, or a relationship, mm-hmm. right? And that's happened to me r- very recently, within the past year. So I've, I'm getting used to it. I'm growing. So I think that it's- You're just, terrible at it, by the way. What do you mean? If you fall short, on, or, or if your perception is that you fall short on something, you don't deal oh, with I don't, it well. No, I try to do everything to to correct it. Mm. I think I'm getting better at it, mm-hmm. um, but we'll see. It's still it's still a work in progress. All right, and with that, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for a little segment here on EMG that we call Quick Questions. Are you ready for this, Steve? Oh, boy. Quick Questions. Here we go. You ready? You have to answer these quickly. Okay. Okay. If you could buy any type of food right now, what would you buy? Uh, steak. What color is your toothbrush? Blue. If you could be any animal, what would it be and why? Oh, uh, lion, because kill everything. Mm-hmm. Who is your favorite superhero and why? Uh, Marvel or DC? Marvel. Uh, Iron Man, recently, but also Spider-Man when I was a kid. Batman, DC. Batman for DC. Okay. Who do you admire the most? Uh, you. Wait. Let's go into that further. Tell me about me. Next question. Okay, moving on. Here we are again. What is your favorite thing about someone in your family? Can't be me. Can't be. Can't be you. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably, probably mom and or mama. Uh, just they're they're both very caring, and they they literally have lived both of their lives. To to you're taking too long. It's called quick questions. To, okay, uh, dad. Okay, when <laughs> when I dance, <laughs> I look like blank. Fill in the blank for yourself. Alrighty, what is your lifelong dream? Oh boy, uh, to leave to leave something behind, like a pair of underwear, socks. Okay, uh, favorite song, dude. Come on, favorite song. Oh boy, new or old? Old. Uh, Pyt. New. Uh, Twenty Four Karat Magic. All time. Bach. <laughs> And my final question. Yes. If you were getting married tomorrow, mm-hmm. what would your entertainment package look like? <laughs> oh man, can you st- can you stop the music? Nope. No, stop the music. Wait, You're gonna hold want on. it dramatic. Okay. First rule: go. No kids. Okay. Okay. No crying kids. Also, um, I would probably do a band and DJ combo. I'd want a custom light show because I did a wedding at Biagio's with Tommy, who's what an band? awesome DJ. Oh boy. Uh, probably Hyde Park. Go. Hyde Park with the Park Avenue horns added in. So four horns. Ooh, Tower Power style. Yep. They had five, but go on. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, my reception would look like literally like we eat, we do all like the, the routines up, and then it's just one big dance party after party afterward with the DJ. Steven, I thank you so much for coming in here. Uh, we do appreciate it, and uh, we'll see you on a dance floor soon. Also, sincerity. That's what drives me. Going back to the first question. Goodbye. 
So that is it, everybody. That was my conversation with my brother, Stephen. I uh, hope you enjoyed listening. You know, after listening back, I realized I probably should have explained some things better. So we talked about Stephen's uh, EP, the Cleopatra Club EP. That stands for Extended Play. That's uh, typically shorter than an album and it only includes a few songs. We also talked about Z100's Jingle Ball. Z100 is one of the largest radio stations here in New York City. Uh, it also has national recognition. You can find it on Channel 12 on Sirius XM. And the Jingle Ball is the Super Bowl of concerts. It's held every year in December in Madison Square Garden. And in 2016, when Stevens Band was asked to play, they had secured Bruno Mars, Shawn Mendes. Uh, I think at the time, Fifth Harmony was going to play right alongside the Cleopatra Club. Uh, didn't work out. It's an interesting story, so maybe we'll bring Stephen back soon and we'll, uh, we'll chat about that. Uh, also, if you are interested in checking out these amazing music videos um, that we did um, that were done on such a large, grand scale, you can go to elegantmusicgroup.com slash show notes, and I will put all of this great content up there for everyone to access. So once again, I hope you enjoyed, and uh, we will see you next time here on the Spotlight Interview. You can find us at elegantmusicgroup.com or on Instagram at elegantmusicgroup.